0: Hello everyone and welcome to Everyday English. My name is Laura Marshallsay, owner of Marshallsay English. I'm a historian, I actually worked as a tour guide, and now I teach communication skills, business English, to professionals across the globe, especially those in the tourism, heritage and museum industries. Customer service complaints are the number one reason places get bad reviews online. So how can you avoid that? How can you make sure that your customers are so happy that they always give you a five-star review? Stay tuned and find out. Coronavirus numbers in Germany are finally dropping to really good low levels, so my husband and I decided to book a holiday for later this summer. We're being quite conservative about the whole thing. The first thing that we agreed to was no flights. Instead, we're going to drive. We also wanted to be able to cancel at late notice, just in case the infection rates go back up. We really don't want to be left with a holiday we can't take. But before we settled on a location or booked our hotels, we checked the major review sites just to reassure ourselves that our choices were the right ones. We weren't alone. It seems that everyone relies on online reviews, or nearly everyone anyway. I found a report that showed that 90% of travelers research their holidays online before they book anything. And 80% of all travelers, regardless of how they book a holiday, online or at a travel agency, will spend up to four weeks reading reviews on sites like TripAdvisor when they're researching their destination. 85% of travelers Trust online reviews. In fact, 72% of new customers won't book anything until they've looked at the reviews. And guess what? Travel is booming in 2021. Apparently, a lot of people saved a lot of money during the pandemic, and that money is burning a hole in their pockets. The Washington Post reported that Americans alone saved 2.7 trillion dollars, that's trillion during the pandemic, and they are ready to go on a high-end shopping spree. Even where I live, Germany, the fiscally conservative Germans, they're even ready to spend. According to a consumer survey by McKinsey and Company, 44% of German customers said they wanted to spend something extra on themselves and that's across all income levels. Now that means the competition for customers is going to be fierce and the reviews you get online could mean the difference between post-pandemic success or failure. Luckily 95% of all travel reviews are positive But that also means that if you're getting anything below, very good or excellent, you need to look at your reviews seriously. Now, I realize that sometimes a bad review is unjustified. I mean, if you book a weekend on a dairy farm, you should not complain that you smell the countryside. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But most of the negative reviews aren't silly city people coming to complain about cows. Instead, they're real customers complaining about real issues. And more often than not, the biggest complaints are about customer service. To test this, I went to TripAdvisor and checked out the reviews of some of the hotels, museums, and tourist sites around Frankfurt and a few other places. I chose them at random. The results were the same wherever I looked. With museums, most of the bad reviews revolved around ticket prices, waiting times to get in, a lack of cohesion for exhibits, and rude staff. With hotels, a few things came up regularly. The hotel's refund policy regarding COVID, Substandard rooms and rude staff. Restaurants, bad food, location, and rude staff. Do you see a pattern here? Bad customer service can kill you, even if you have the best hotel, the best restaurant, or the best museum exhibits in the world. And just to be sure that those people giving the bad reviews weren't people who just did it for fun. I clicked on each person who posted one, and usually that was the only bad review they had ever written. So what constitutes good customer service? Well, marketing strategist Brittany Hodak boils Good customer service down to three basic principles, professionalism, patience, and a people-first attitude. Now, for me, personally, it's someone going the extra mile for me. Let's look at two real-life examples. I like to do DIY. That's do-it-yourself. I do things around the house, paint repair things. And I'm pretty good at it, if I do say so myself. Now anyone who has ever been to one of those huge DIY stores will understand that sometimes it's hard finding what you need. One time I went into a store and asked an employee who was stocking shelves where I could find a particular item. He looked up from what he was doing and just said, Aisle 3. I went to aisle 3 and guess what? I still couldn't find it. I was just as lost as when I came into the store. When I tried to find someone else to help me, there was no one in sight. Frustrated, I just left. And I went to their competitor down the road. This time when I asked an employee where I could find the item... She walked me over to the aisle, showed me where it was, and asked me several questions about my project. To my surprise, she suggested a product that was actually cheaper than the one I came in for. She also showed me several other items I didn't know I needed, but I did, and still other items that would make the project easier. When I asked a question she couldn't answer, she called over a colleague who could. I left that store feeling confident that I had the right tools for that project. Did I spend more than I would have in the other store? I have no idea. But the people in the second store saved me both time and frustration. Guess which one is now my go-to store? That's pretty easy. What's interesting is The help that they gave me didn't cost the company one extra penny, but to me it was priceless. Let's look at another example from the heritage and tourism side of things. When I first arrived in London, and I I lived there for, for two years, I was doing contract work near Trafalgar Square, which meant I got to spend a lot of time in the National Gallery. It was wonderful. I would go there at lunchtime and was able to enjoy the art in a way I never had before. One day, I asked a security guard if he knew where a specific painting was. He did, and he gave me the directions to find it. Obviously, he couldn't leave his post to take me there. But he went the extra mile by describing two other pieces in the museum I was completely unaware of and he marked them on my map. As I was leaving the museum, he waved and asked if I was able to find the paintings and what I thought of them. It wasn't a long or complicated conversation, but the fact that he went out of his way made me feel like a VIP. Imagine if you could make all your customers feel like that. Many of the customer service complaints I read came from staff members being downright rude. One person was horrified when a security personnel at a museum yelled at her for getting too close to the exhibit. The thing is, she wasn't near the painting. She was bending over to read the very small print on the label. In another museum, a staff member ranted at the visitor because he thought her bag was too big to be allowed inside. It seems that in this museum there were no hard and fast rules about bag sizes for women. Men had to put their backpacks in the lockers. Women, it was up to the discretion of the security personnel. In this case, one guard thought it was okay. The second thought it was too big. She was so embarrassed She just left. Reviews repeatedly describe front desk staff at museums, heritage sites, and hotels who are grumpy, cold, or simply unwilling to look up from what they're doing to acknowledge a guest. One reviewer even described a staff member so caught up in their own work, they were unable to help a guest who had cut themselves and needed a plaster. Needless to say, this is unacceptable. Now, when I discussed this with German friends, they suggested that maybe the staff wasn't being rude or grumpy. Perhaps they were just direct and straightforward. Here's a newsflash. You cannot always be direct and straightforward with the public. You have to soften your language just a little. And really, it doesn't take much effort, and it costs nothing to do. So here are my top tips and some functional language for customer service, regardless of your industry. My first tip is acknowledge your customers. Simply say hello, good morning. Smile, nod. When someone approaches you, stop what you're doing and ask, how can I help you? If you're busy with another customer or are on the phone, indicate that you will be with them as soon as possible. My next tip is, don't just answer their question. Go the extra mile. If you're on hotel reception and a guest asks you how to get to a local tourist attraction, Ask them about the rest of their day. You might have local insider knowledge that could really help them. For example, you might know some great places to eat that most visitors miss. Simply ask them, after you visit the town museum, do you have plans for lunch? I can recommend several restaurants in the area if you like. If they refuse your help, no worries. Don't push it. But if they accept your help, go even further and call the restaurant and let them know to expect your guests, even if you don't have a firm time for a reservation. When your guests return, ask how their day was. These small acts of kindness will make your guests feel really special. Now, what if you need to say something negative like they need to take their backpack to the locker area. Well, do it politely, and most importantly, quietly. Do not make a scene. Apologize, even though you haven't done anything wrong. You could say something like, Excuse me, ma'am, I am so sorry, but I'm afraid backpacks aren't actually allowed in the museum. They should have told you that at the front desk. Would you mind putting it in one of the lockers by reception? Thanks. Let's look at those sentences again. Did you notice how many softeners we used here? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm afraid. Would you mind? We used the anonymous they, they should have told you at reception. And we even used some passive verb construction. Now, truthfully, if this was a business meeting, that would be too many softeners. But when you're working in an industry which focuses so heavily on customer service, as tourism and heritage does, you can never be too polite. Now, the same amount of respect should be shown if it's your guests who are misbehaving. For example, Excuse me, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I'm afraid we've had some complaints. Would you mind lowering your voices a bit? Thank you. Or, Excuse me, sir, um, I'm afraid you're not allowed to use a flash inside, Could you turn your flash off? You can continue to take photographs, but just without the flash. Thanks for understanding. Now, most people will be absolutely fine when you approach them, and you may even get a few apologies. Others will not, and you might need to escalate the situation. But always start as politely as you can. Now, what happens if you do all this and you still get a bad review? Well, if you get a bad review, answer it. If your organization is actually at fault, apologize, do what you can to make amends, and use it as a learning opportunity. If it isn't your fault, at least acknowledge that you've read their complaint, and that you understand their disappointment. You'd be surprised how effective that is. Don't let all of your hard work go down the drain because of a bad review. Keep your visitors happy, and the good reviews will flow. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you actually found it helpful. So let me ask you, what are your biggest communication issues? If you have a comment, a question, or even a suggestion for an upcoming podcast, please go to my website, www.marshalsayenglish.com, and leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.